I'm going to move into the reading this evening. So the reading this evening comes from 2 Samuel uh, chapter 12. Um, and we're reading from verses 1 to 13. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 to 13. The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich, the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb that he had bought. He raised it and grew up with him and his children. He shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveller came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveller who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for the lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah, and if all of this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore... The sword shall never depart from your house, because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says, out of your own household, I am going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you. And he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, The Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. Amen. And may God bless this reading of his word. So we're continuing our series with a rather gruesome, depressing text. And our series is on fruitfulness on the front line. And um, the whole point of this is to hopefully give you some basic tips on how each and every one of us uh, can be having a much better impact in our everyday, our front lines, wherever that happens to be. And I think this is something that each and every believer should actually be doing. There's something that we should be looking for. And it's not just my belief, but it's the very command of God. That is what we are called to do as Christians. And tonight we're going to be speaking on being a mouthpiece for truth and justice. I can't believe I separated mouthpiece there. There you go. Maybe I should be doing exams, being tested on my English. I'm not sure about you, but it seems that speaking out is an issue for so many of us. We have difficulty speaking up for truth. In fact, it's easy to speak out of anger. It's easy to speak out of resentment. And if it's believed that by speaking out, you will somehow benefit, that seems to be a lot easier than speaking up for truth, when speaking up for truth can be very, very costly. When you make the decision to speak out for truth, it is going to be costly. You could end up on the receiving end of some not-so-nice language. You could receive a lot of anger and hate from people. You could be slandered or whatever it is. What we're talking about is when we speak out because of someone else's detrimental actions and you're calling them out on it. 
When we think about standing for truth and justice, I wonder who we think of. You know, there's people like Martin Luther King. You know, the guy, I had a dream. And there's so many people who would think of someone like this when we think about speaking out for truth and justice. Our younger generation possibly doesn't even know who this is, but many people would think of Mother Teresa when they think about someone speaking out for truth and justice. Or perhaps it's even Gandhi, the man who protested without violence and spoke for truth and justice. Maybe you think of Tiananmen Square and one sole figure standing in front of a tank because of the atrocities that were being committed. And I'm not so sure, but maybe you think of this lady. Maybe. Who knows? Who knows? But I think... We have this fallacy to elevate certain people to a level or to a position where we consider them to be on a plane much higher than we can achieve or hope for. We see them as being the ones who speak out for truth and justice, who have this special anointing or blessing or something. And so we set ourselves up for defeat because we look at ourselves, we look at how weak we are, we look at how nervous we are, how hesitant we are to speak, and, and, and we shut ourselves down. I, I don't have enough faith. I, I don't know what to say. I, I'm afraid of how they're going to react. We think we're not capable. Last week... I told you about a couple of my friends who stood up for what they believed to be right. And both of them are really quiet, down-to-earth people. I mean really quiet, down-to-earth people. They are the last people you'd expect to speak in front of someone. And they're people who openly admit that they mess up constantly. They don't get things right all the time. But they made a decision to stand for truth. They made a decision to oppose that which was wrong. And they couldn't sign off on the work the boss wanted them to do. As I told you, this guy who wouldn't sign off on that work, even though his boss hated it at the time and tried to force him to do so, the boss ended up championing him, ending up wanting him to stay in the position even when he resigned much, much later. And I think our problem is we don't really understand God's heart when it comes to truth and justice. When we think about justice... True justice. We should be thinking about the way God has treated us. What his call on our lives means as a result. And a few weeks ago, we heard from Matthew 5.13, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall saltiness be returned? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are a light on a hill. You are, sorry, the light of the world, a city on a hill cannot be hidden as that light the call upon us is to shine into every dark corner of this world and it isn't because of who we are it isn't because of our weakness or our abilities or anything like that it's all because of who jesus is it's his power in us anywhere we believe there is wrong we need to stand up for what is right What we've been speaking about on our front lines and how we need to be making a difference on our front lines each and every day is that we need to be making that difference. And we need to stand up for truth and justice. Let's pause and pray.
Father, there's many things that prevent us from hearing your voice. There's many things that distract us, even as we sit in this building or join online at home, Lord. And I pray you'll remove those distractions. I mean, there's people who will be concerned that we're doing yet another topical message, Lord. I pray again you'll remove those distractions. And I pray we'll focus on you. I pray our desire will be to hear from you, that we'll engage with you, Lord, and hear your call upon our lives, and that, Lord, we'll have a desire to put things in place that will draw us closer to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I did that reading earlier from 2 Samuel chapter 12, and and there's a bit of stuff that happened before that. So I just want to fill you in and remind you what occurred just prior to that passage that I read. And and King David has decided or elected to allow his men to go and mop up the last of the battles. Now, a lot of people say, well, King David should have been in the fight, and that's why he fell into sin and everything like that. This was quite common for kings to actually do this. The battle was basically won. But the thing that King David did, he didn't occupy his time in a fit way. He ended up being a little listless. And so King David went up onto the roof of his house, And he wasn't doing anything productive. And he ended up on the roof of the house because he tried YouTube, but it wasn't invented by that stage. So he had to do something else. And he gets up there on the roof. And while he's looking around, he sees Bathsheba. Bathsheba was a very beautiful woman. And Bathsheba happened to be naked, having a bath. And instead of David doing the right thing and looking away, as the king of Israel should have done, as this godly man should have done, he looked upon her lustfully. And he continued to look upon her. He should have honoured God, but he chose not to. He should have honoured Bathsheba, but he chose not to. He should have honoured Uriah, who was Bathsheba's husband, but he chose not to. And as a result, as he continued to gaze upon her, he asked one of his attendants who it was. And that attendant says, oh, that's Uriah the Hittite's wife. And David ignored that and said, go get her. And David slept with her, committed adultery. And the result of that was that Bathsheba fell pregnant. And this leaves King David with a significant problem. He's got to try and get out of this somehow. Because while David was being a big slack about not fighting in the war, Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, was actually fighting for King David on the front line. He was faithfully serving his king in battle. So he devises this plan to bring Uriah back. And he thinks, well, if I get Uriah back and I get him drunk and I send him down to his wife, he'll sleep with his wife, she'll be pregnant, and they'll all think it's his. How awesome is that? What David didn't count on was that Uriah would be faithful, not only to King David, but also to his fellow fighters who were on the front line. And even though the king got him drunk, he refused to go into his wife because he said that would be wrong while his mates were out fighting. So David takes drastic action. He calls Uriah back. He gives him instructions that Uriah has no idea what they're about. Uriah carries his own death sentence to the front line. And what he's carrying in his hand tells those who are fighting to put him on the front line and then withdraw so that he will be killed. And that is, of course, exactly what happens. Bathsheba then goes through the required period of mourning She comes into King David's house, gives birth to a son, King David's son. So by the time we get to today's reading, about a year has passed since David first saw Bathsheba. And I suppose you think that he has had plenty of water pass under the bridge. Everything's sweet. 
no one will ever know he's gotten away with what he did. I'm not sure what you think as you read this passage. It's one of those passages I wish wasn't in Scripture. I'd like King David to be elevated and held up as this incredible guy who so faithfully served God and didn't stumble. But he's just like me. He's got feet of clay. And I'm not sure what the focal point for you when we've looked at this passage previously has been. So often we take it as an account of God's grace, his undeserved favour upon a sinner to the point of forgiving even these most heinous acts. And this is true. It's a powerful story when we think of grace like that. And here we have this king who really messes up in such a huge way and yet God is still willing to express his love, his grace and his forgiveness if King David were to return to him. And the story is the same for us. We can continue to return to God. But that's not what I want to focus on tonight. That's not what I see when I read this passage. And the first verse says, And the Lord sent Nathan to David. Why did God send Nathan? Nathan was the mouthpiece of truth and justice to David. It's that simple. He was to speak God's truth into King David's ungodly situation and actions. And I wonder how that sits with most of us. I wonder how many of us feel that they're not to judge. I know people have said to that that to me constantly, we are not to judge others. We are not to do that type of thing. That is God and God alone who should do that. Well, there's a whole heap of passages of Scripture that tell us not to judge. But they're those ones which warn against judging unjustly. We are not to judge those outside the family of God by our standards. After all, why would they follow the standards of the church when they know nothing about them? We are to judge ourselves before judging others. And the bottom line is we are to take great care and make sure we are compassionate and loving as we bring to the attention of our brother or sister a sin which needs to be connected. Uh, sorry, corrected. And these passages are a few of the many in Scripture which call us to correct, rebuke, reprove our brothers and sisters in Christ. And there's many, many more. All of that requires judging actions or attitudes. And the reality is when we say that we shouldn't judge, we're opposing everything that's said here and the many other passages as well. We're basically saying, I don't want to be responsible for my brother and sister. I don't want to have that on me. And if we consider the second Samuel passage that we've had read tonight with this in mind, the whole perspective changes. Nathan is being obedient to God, isn't he? He's doing what God called him to do, a great risk to himself. He's going to the king and he's calling the king out on incredibly bad behavior. What could happen to Nathan in actually doing that? He goes in with great risk to himself. Not only could he be in prison, but he could be killed as a result of speaking to the king like that. But Nathan goes at great risk to himself to speak up for truth and justice. The focal point shifts. David is no longer God's man. It is the prophet Nathan who is representing God in this interaction. And God attempts to draw David back to himself. God wants to get David's attention. And he uses Nathan to do that. 
And Nathan doesn't make a direct accusation. Rather, he tells a story in a way that King David will make a judgment based on his authority and position and influence. And David says, when he hears about what has happened, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing, because he had no pity. Here, David's anger burns towards the rich man. The rich man has used his power and influence to get exactly what he wants. Nathan tells David the story of the rich man and the poor man, which causes David to burn in anger towards the rich man. And then the truth is revealed. David is the rich man. David took what God had blessed Uriah with. And David has acted like any other king of the world would act any other person who has power and he has used that power to serve himself he believes he's taking control of the situation and used the power he has to cover up his failings or mistakes and it seems that David has forgotten it was God who gave him everything that he has but God isn't happy with that He doesn't want David to continue on the path he is presently on. He wants David to realize he's wrong and return to God. And I believe God uses Nathan much as he uses to wish, sorry, as much as he wishes to use us to be a mouthpiece of truth and justice and to cause David and people like David to see the error of their ways. And I don't think Nathan took this lightly. I think... He seriously thought about approaching the king. It's more than obvious, as I've said, that David could have elected to kill Nathan. And so we should see Nathan as courageous in this story. And we can pray for courage and ask God for courage in these situations. What we need to realise is that when God sends Nathan to confront David, it is with a view to restoration. It's a view to liberate David from his guilt. And although there are always consequences for what we have done wrong, and you can read about those as you move further on in the passage that we started this evening, God's intent is to restore David's relationship with him. And as a result, open up a much better future for David than the path he is presently on. And when we think about being mouthpieces for truth and justice, this must be our motivation. We must have the same heart of God and look to the well-being of those that we're speaking to or ministering to. When we think of biblical justice, we have to put aside thinking that it is about an impartial legal judgment and more about promoting right living and fair dealings to each and every person. The bottom line is it's about seeking and supporting that which is righteous and standing up for and opposing everything else that is not. This is what we're called to do as Christians for the sake of others and also in order to bring glory to God. When we think of the story of Nathan and David, this is only one aspect of what it means to be a mouthpiece of truth and justice. So what else does it mean? I think in all of the things that we've been going um, to speak about, there is an element of Nathan and David's story that applies to each and every situation. I think it's about being courageous first and foremost. But it's a courage that comes from a deep conviction that God and his word is right, true unjust we have to get that so we need courage to speak up and promote right dealings and supporting what is righteous as well as standing up and opposing everything that is not i think our problem is that we don't really understand god's heart when it comes to truth and justice or his heart for all people and when we think about justice we should be thinking about the way that god has treated us and what he's calling our lives is as a result 
And that again gets back to that salt and light that we've spoken about already. We are the light of the world, put here to shine into every dark corner, not because of who we are, but because of who Christ is. Anywhere we believe there is wrong, we should stand up for what is right. We've been speaking about our front lines and how we need to be making a difference on our front lines each and every day. What can we do to help make a difference in our everyday when it comes to truth and justice? Uh, I want to speak about some very simple, very practical ways we can make a difference in the world which we may not have thought of. When we think about the sexualization of our children, the abuse and the degradation of women, the unwillingness of both the world and many Christians to keep the marriage bed sacred, we can speak about the advertising we see. We can petition against that. We can petition against our local shops that stock things that sexualize women, the advertising that does exactly those things. There's a campaign only a few years ago that had pornographic magazines removed from supermarkets. Do you remember how supermarkets used to have those? You won't see them anymore because there was a campaign that actually outlawed them. Uh, we, we asked for them to be removed and it happened. When we are in the school corridors, office, lunchroom or after church and someone has been spoken about and they're not there to defend themselves, we can shut that down. We can say we don't speak that way. We don't speak about people who are not there to hear what is being said and have the opportunity to defend themselves. If we could cut gossip off altogether, it would be incredible. We would stop so much heartache and pain for so many people. Many of you know that I love coffee. Do you think about the tea and coffee that you drink? It's very easy. And I want to challenge those of you who you know, aren't that hard off, who do have a little bit of cash, to look for these logos on your tea and coffee. What these logos symbolize is that it's been ethically sourced. The tea and coffee that you are drinking has been ethically sourced. And if you buy fair trade or direct trade coffee or any of these other coffees or teas... What it means is that they're following a set of strict rules in the growth, harvesting and refining of those teas and coffees. And it ensures that the product you buy improves the living conditions of those who farm it. And it provides training for those people in sustainable practices that in the years to come they will still be producing these products and they'll be able to live comfortably as a result. And when I say comfortably, that's not comfortably by our standards. That's comfortably by their standards, which is very, very minimal, comparatively speaking. And all we have to do is look on all our boxes to see if it's got one of these logos. Or ask. Uh, I, I actually buy Merlot coffee. I've checked with them. And yes, they, they do source their coffee correctly. So uh, that's why I buy them. Who loves fashion? Yeah, I, I do. Yeah. So do we ever use this? This is the ethical fashion guide. It comes out every year. This is something that Queensland Baptists do. How awesome is that? Yeah, I think that's pretty awesome. And you can go through here, you can see every fashion house, every clothing company will be in this list somewhere. And you, you can get this online, you can download it, and it actually rates them. And the exciting thing is, this has become so popular that a number of other organisations have taken up ethical fashion guides, and the companies will change where they source their stuff from. They will change how they treat those that work for them if they get poor ratings in this ethical fashion guide. And I'm so excited that, you know, the denomination we're involved in was at the forefront of this and made this actually happen. Uh, unfortunately, there's still way too many of our well-known brands that allow modern slavery, abuse, low wages and other atrocities to be uh, inflicted in their factories and upon their workers. And also uh, unsustainable practices in growing cotton and those types of things that... Uh, 
a part of our clothing. So this is a very simple thing. Um, my kids love going through it, actually, and uh, they've had a few surprises when they've gone through, and there's places they will not shop now because they've got bad ratings uh, on the Ethical Fashion Guide. So it allows you to search your favourite brands and find out which ones are taking positive steps to protect their workers and protect the environment. So can I encourage you to do that? We've also had a number of fundraisers for Bloom Asia. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's awesome. And, and, you know, you think back to the start of Bloom, and I think the ladies would have heard about the start of Bloom when they had the um, founder of Bloom here just the other day. You know, we have these high tees here, we have walks, we have runs, we have rides, we have lace events to support Bloom Asia. What does supporting Bloom Asia do? Well, you might think that you paid a little bit too much for the high tea, but you are helping women get out of the sex trade. It's having a huge impact on the exploitation of women overseas. And the funds raised have a massive impact. We can't, we can't even begin to understand the transformation in these women's lives. And uh, when we come to these things, I appreciate there's some people who can't afford to go. I'm not speaking to you. But those of you who can go, don't focus on the cost. Don't focus on what it's costing you to go to these events. Focus on the outcome. Focus on what happens as a result of being a part of these events and the women's lives that are transformed. You've heard me say many times that we are privileged to live in this country. By the world's standards, we are filthy rich. Go to the world's rich list and just punch in what you earn every year and you'll find you are in the top 5 to 10% wealthy people in the world. There's so many people that are worse off than us. And we take everything we've got here for granted. We get free health care. That is incredible. If one of you were to drop right now, we would get you an ambulance. That costs you nothing. You get to a hospital and get medical help. That costs you nothing. If you are without work, there's all these things that you can do to get food and to get help financially. And I believe that there is a mandate in Scripture that says those who have much, much will be expected. So what do we choose to choose? Sorry, what do we choose to do with our wealth? Part of standing up for truth and justice is making a difference where we can. How awesome was it to have our Compassion Sunday? Do you remember that Compassion Sunday? How many was it 83, 84 kids we sponsored? Us here? At SDBC, can you imagine the difference we've made in the lives, not just of those kids, but of the villages that those kids are from? It's something that we all got on board with and had a huge impact and made a difference. If you don't sponsor a child, can I encourage you to? Um, I, I think it's a great thing. And there's something else we can do this Christmas as well. And uh, Elena and I have done this quite a bit. So we have this catalogue which gets sent to us. It's called Gifts of Compassion. Have people received this? Yeah, this is an incredible thing. And um, when Elena and I had our business, um, we bought a few wells. Uh, you can't get wells anymore. You can actually buy um, pure water for a village and things like that. But we used to actually get a few wells and we'd tell our staff what we were doing. And that, they were hugely impacted that we would just give this money in order for someone to have fresh water. This, gifts of compassion, have gifts that start at five bucks. And so you can buy a chicken for five bucks. And for us, it's like a big deal. 
that is huge for someone who doesn't have a chicken. And if you buy a couple of chickens, obviously those chickens can breed and they get more chickens and they also have eggs and they have all sorts of stuff. Um, we now, we've started a bit of a tradition with our family, so we give this catalogue to the kids and we say you pick, can pick anything you want in this and if you can justify why we should do it, we will give that money to do what you say. So we gave a few things away. Uh, they've, the, the ticket items have gone up on some of them. Uh, there's $12,000 things in there right now, so I really hope the kids can't justify that. But <laughs> we'll see how we go. Last year it was goats and it was chickens, and they said, hey, look, if we were to give these goats, they get milk, they get this, they get that. It's like, why is that beneficial? Because they don't actually have that at the moment. It's good and healthy for them, and their kids will be good and healthy, and they'll get more goats, and they'll be able to sell those. It's a great thing. We're like, fair enough. Can I encourage you to do things like this? Five bucks. Imagine if all of us bought one chicken. How awesome would that be? And again, the gifts that don't seem to be a big deal for us, but for those in the world who have nothing, they have a massive impact. So the bottom line is we need to really believe and understand what we do right here, right now, makes a difference. You've heard the story of the little boy walking along the beach and there's thousands of starfish washed up on the beach and he's picking them up and he's throwing them back into the surf and this guy comes along and says, mate, what are you doing? There's so many starfish here, you'll never make a difference. And he picks one up and he throws it in. He goes, I did for that one. And it's true. What you want to do for the thousand, what you want to do for the ten thousand, what you want to do for the hundred thousand, you do for one. And if we all had that attitude, we'd have a huge impact upon this world. Same in your workplaces. If you stand up for truth, if you are willing to stand with someone who's been wronged, you'll have an impact. It'll be an impact for good. It'll be an impact for truth and an impact for justice. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the power of your word. I thank you that you challenge us constantly. Well, you challenge me anyway, Lord. And I just pray that as we've heard this word this evening, Lord, that there'll be something that's just stirred in our hearts. Lord, it may be to get involved with some of those things that we've spoken about, those gifts of compassion, sponsoring a child, looking at the ethical fashion guide. Whatever it is, Lord, help us to think about the life we're living in the here and now, the incredible and abundant blessing and privilege we have to live in Australia and the opportunities we have to bless others who are less fortunate than ourselves. Father, help us to be a people who constantly stand up for truth and justice. And Lord, who will have an impact in our workplaces, on our front lines, at school, uni, communities, social gatherings, Lord, whatever it is. Help us to have that impact for you and your glory, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.